0: This is the MDT Podcast.
1: A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT.
0: The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge, to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome back. To series four of the MDT podcast. I am Dr Jo Preston and I'm a consultant geriatrician in London.
1: And I'm Ian Wilkinson, I'm a consultant geriatrician in Surrey.
0: And we're very excited to be back here for the fourth series.
1: Yeah, we've had a busy time. We've had a couple of weeks off over the summer. We have. So we have, um, we've been quite busy in Podcast yeah, no HQ. no rest. No rest. Uh, a few little things to, to let you know about. First of all, obviously you're listening to it. This is the beginning of the fourth series. So we've got some what I think are going to be really great topics yeah, in this series, and we've got some really great guests lined up. Should we run through a couple of things we're going to cover?
0: Yeah. So obviously, this one's theories of aging, as you will have recognised from the title so far. Other episodes are sex in older adults, and um, Parkinson's disease. Yep.
1: Yeah. Then we've got a double header of continuing healthcare and health and social care interface. interface.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to do one on aging skin and common skin conditions and how to manage them. Vision.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then we've got one on loneliness. We do. And one on alcohol and substance misuse in older persons. And one on complex dementia.
0: Care. So I'm really excited about doing them. Yeah, things. it should
1: be really good. Yeah. And we've been working on a couple of mini-series. Yes,
0: so we've had a couple um, of clinical fellows working out of East Surrey where Ian works. Usma has created one on end-of-life care.
1: And they're focused for your MDT.
0: Yeah, and then the other is from our clinical fellow Tappy Moffat who has created five short episodes on acute stroke so starting from diagnosis presentation of symptoms through to discharge and they're actually focused for patients and their relatives to kind of explain what happens during that time so that's a resource that will be available on our website and on the podcast feed that you're getting this through um, and you can freely access them for your patients and share them.
1: And then also we've done three podcasts as part of a student selected component mm. from Brighton and Sussex Medical School. They're also going to be on the website. Yeah. Um, and they'll be out very, very soon. And then we went to ASME. We did. Which is the um, Conference for the Association for the Study of Medical Education. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of talks there. Yeah. And a poster. Yes. And we won a prize.
0: Yeah, which we are very excited about. So we had the best oral presentation for a technology enhanced learning project. So very excitingly, we are going to start doing an MDT journal club on Twitter.
1: Ooh. Ooh, like a tweet chat,
0: like a tweet chat, exactly. So, but instead of there being a particular paper that we discuss, we're going to discuss this episode, and we're very excited about doing this. Um, this we probably- say we we're having help. Yes, there's a geriatrics trainee called Dan Thomas, who is going to be mainly leading on this for us. And we're very excited and we're very thankful for him for facilitating this. So watch out for details of that. It will probably be in the middle of next week that we'll start. There will be details on our Twitter, Facebook and website about it. Um, We haven't quite decided on the hashtag yet, but we will let you know. But join in. It will be in the evening. It'll last about an hour um, and we'll kind of facilitate the conversations we go through we will then have a copy of the transcript or a kind of summary of the discussion on the website as well so if you're listening to this in retrospect A, catch up and listen to them in real time so you can join in um, but secondly you can have a look back at the ones that we've done from this series going yeah. forwards
1: Also on the website obviously is our feedback form So if you and, and your reflections form so if you listen to an episode you can log your reflections via the website and mm-hmm. we'll send you a copy of that
0: as your CPD, and again, the Twitter chat would count towards yeah. that. So. Very exciting, very yes. excited
1: about that. So, back to today. Today's topic is theories of ageing. And we thought this would be a good one to start this series with, because we've started each of the series with what we think is sort of a cornerstone topic. So the first series was comprehensive geriatric assessment. Mm-hmm. Second series was frailty The third series started with...
0: Multimorbidity.
1: Multimorbidity. And then, so this one we're going to kick off with theories of ageing. Yes. So the aim of this episode is we want to have a think about some of the main theories of ageing down at a deep biological level Mm. and to understand the difference between ageing individually versus population-based ageing. Yes.
0: And at the end of this, we want you to be able to distinguish normal ageing from frailty... So we'll link into that a little bit. And also to appreciate how normal aging affects individuals throughout their life course. Yeah.
1: So I guess we have to kick off with a definition. As
0: we always do. As we
1: always do. And I think it's it's tricky to define aging, isn't it? And the yeah. more the more I think about it, the more I find it difficult to actually pin a definition on because I think it's so multifaceted. Yeah. There are biological definitions, there are sociological definitions, mm-hmm. and there are psychological definitions. To name a few. Some of the latter two we explored in the episode on identity, which I think was the sixth one of, of the last, last series. series. Yeah.
0: So this one we're going to concentrate on biological. Um, we're not going to make any apologies for that, but bear with us. We're just going to try and explain it as best that we can. I'm going to start with the definition by Bernard Streller, um, who defined ageing as needing to have four properties. It needed to be universal, so it must happen to every member of a species it should be intrinsic so happen through endogenous processes that happen within that individual so not dependent on extrinsic things like lions coming to eat you or fires
1: yeah so no um life enhancing elixir or anything like that
0: no exactly this should be progressive So the changes leading to ageing must occur progressively through the lifespan. It's not that you hit a certain age and then bang, suddenly all this stuff starts happening. And they must be deleterious. So they must be bad for the individual. So they should be universal, intrinsic, progressive and bad for the person.
1: Yeah. And virtually all physiological functions lose efficiency with ageing, don't they? So if you draw a curve of maximum bone density, or maximum heart rate, or FEV1, or renal perfusion, they all follow a very similar curve that you start off your life with not 100% function, you develop 100% function in your late 20s, early 30s. And then kind of from then on, there's a gradual decline at mm. about 1% per year, something like that. And that leads to a loss of capacity to maintain your homeostasis when faced by an external challenge.
0: Mm such as an illness or something like that.
1: Yeah, and that is kind of the underpinning idea behind frailty as well, Mm -hmm. isn't it? But frailty is, I kind of think of it as you as the individual, whereas ageing is the process that's going on in the background.
0: Yes, and there is some school of thought that if we live to very advanced age, we would all start to exhibit some signs of frailty. So the question with frailty really is why do those people show those things earlier? Why do they have this accumulation of these age-related deficits earlier than other people? Yeah. Uh, So what we want to discuss first is the difference between individual ageing and population ageing. And I think that's really important because quite often we see this written in newspapers and news articles and magazines of the kind of the population ageing problem. And I think it's really important to understand what they're talking about and what they might think they're talking about when they're not. So we're going to talk briefly now about the difference between individual ageing and population ageing.
1: So we know that the age of populations has increased worldwide as the extrinsic factors are brought into control. So, as we reduce infant mortality and we have public health interventions like vaccinations and sanitization, we reduce the drop off in the population. Yeah. And therefore, the mean age of the population increases. Yes.
0: Um, So when we're talking about ageing population, that's what they're talking about, isn't It's that average age of the whole population, not what you're able to do on average. Um, So there's a dependence on the ages of everyone else in the population.
1: Yeah. So if you've got loads of young children, Mm -hmm. the mean age of the population will be reduced. Yeah. Which is why I think part of the thing that in Western countries at the moment, fertility was reducing. Yeah. And therefore... There are less younger people, and therefore the population is getting older. The mean age, the average age, is getting older.
0: So if you hear of this thing called the population pyramid, is that what used to happen is you had very few people living into old age at the top of the pyramid, and then a lot of really young people at the bottom. Like a pyramid. Exactly. Um, And what's happening is, as infant mortality reduces, is that those people on the bottom are living longer. Like a rectangle. Yes, they call it squaring of the pyramid. And also the other thing that's squaring that bottom is that less uh, children are being born through decreased fertility overall. That's not to say that we are less fertile than we used to be, but just uh, at a population level, we're having less children.
1: So the number of people reaching the oldest ages is going up, rather necessarily than the oldest age getting older.
0: Yeah. So what we're interested in this episode is... How long can we live and why? And has that increased? And if so, why might that be? Because that gives us clues about what's happening at a physiological level um, and how we work as humans that's causing that change in the population level.
1: So that was the Nerd Alert. And I think that kind of now fits for the rest of the episode. Yeah, sweeping
0: the whole way through. But stick with us. It's going to be good. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a concept of senescence, which you may have heard of before. Um, and I found a really nice definition of this I quite liked.
1: It's really hard to spell, in essence. It really I is. I find it really hard. There was a
0: lot of spell checking when yeah. I was trying to write this down. There's lots of
1: Es and S's. And, well, there's two S's. C's. There's lots of Es. And, and But only, yeah, and two C's. It's, it's, it's confusing.
0: Maybe we should change MDTs to a spelling game in the future.
1: I, I don't think we should. I think that would be a really bad idea. <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, this nice definition, which came from senescence.info, uh, which is a website, um, says senescence has no function. It is a subversion of function, which I quite liked.
1: Mm, that's really cool.
0: Um, so senescence is when a cell stops dividing, but it remains metabolically active. Now, that's important because what it means is those cells aren't being cleared what usually happens when a cell dies is it will undergo a process called apoptosis, which is kind of programmed cell death. Um, So there will be signals that this cell has stopped being functional and the immune system will come along and it will clear it up, sweep it out and take it away. Whereas with senescence it doesn't. It just stops dividing and it sits there. Now what used to be thought was that that cell then just sat there quietly and didn't do anything, but there is a school of thought now saying that actually the environment around that senescent cell can become pro-inflammatory which fits with some of the frailty theories and um, kind of theories of ageing around there being lots of inflammation as causes of chronic diseases or contributors to chronic mm. diseases.
1: And oncogenes can induce senescence in cells yeah. can't they? So an so, oncogene is a, a gene that's got the potential to cause cancer or yeah. unregulated cell growth They're They're usually involved in cell in the regulation of cell division Mm. So one cell becoming two, yeah, and they start as proto-oncogenes, mm-hmm. and they need a mutation to make them an oncogene, yeah, and which then they become a problem,
0: which makes them really ripe for studying and research because they're kind of controllable, and you can kind of see what the mutation is and the problem, and we so we know that lots of studies have, have looked at the effect of them on senescence. But in the context of ageing, there's going to be lots of other things that are going to signal to a cell to go into senescence. So there's going to be lots of other chemicals, lots of other biological things that are happening. And so it isn't so clear-cut in the context of ageing as to what might be driving that process. But oncogenes definitely may be one, and we definitely see that um, the increased incidence of cancers with age are likely to be in part due to these oncogenes.
1: And senescence is not just seen in the context of aging you can have cell senescence in other times Mm. for example when a wound heals once it's healed the myofibroblast cells that are doing the healing don't need to do that anymore and they suddenly go into senescence to prevent excess fibrosis at Mm. the site
0: and the nice one that i learned doing this which i didn't know before researching for this um it's the same when building the blood supply for an embryo so the blood supply through the placenta and that kind of thing, once it reaches a point where it's not needed anymore, it just stops and it goes into senescence rather than apoptosis. Mm. So in those circumstances, um, senescence can be programmed. It's triggered by certain stimuli, certain target cell types that it's got to and it no longer needs to do that and then it will quietly go. But we don't know what really drives that in ageing.
1: No. In ageing, the senescence is a bit more unscheduled, yeah, but a bit more, more random. Yeah. And- the clearing out of cells that have undergone senescence and are sort of redundant is much less efficient and that might be because of a similar process that's taking place in the immune system Yes. that's aging
0: So it has reduced function and unable to clear in the same way Um, Cells with senescent properties um, are quite often seen in the tissues of people who've got age-related diseases. So things like osteoarthritis, pulmonary fibrosis, atherosclerosis, so clogging up of arteries, and Alzheimer's disease. But what's not really clear is what the mechanism is between the two. So which direction they happen in. Do you get the disease and then the cells start doing that? Or are you more likely to get the disease because the cells have done that already?
1: And some organisms do not have senescence of their cells. I really like this. Yeah. Yes. The lobsters. Yep. Coral. And perennial plants. And perennial plants, plants, obviously. Which makes
0: sense. Yeah, of course. But they're perennial. That's quite nice. Um, Um, And there's a nice um, article called The Role of Senescent Cells in Ageing by Jan van Deresen um, that was published in 2014 in Nature. Obviously, as usual, this will all go into the show notes that you can download from our website.
1: And then... Hayflick Limit? Yes. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? What's that? Actually?
0: The Hayflick Limit is this idea that there are only a certain number of cell divisions that an organism can undergo in its life course. So there's a theory that um, cells become senescent when they reach their Hayflick Limit.
1: Mm. Now, do you know about Alexis Carroll? I do not. No, so Alexis Carroll was a French, I think he was French, physiologist mm-hmm. uh, at the turn of the, the last century. And he was doing work on myocytes taken from chicken hearts.
0: Which are muscle cells.
1: Yeah, The muscle, the sort of chicken heart cells. And he claimed that he had a single line of chicken embryo fibroblasts continuously in culture for around 30 years. Ooh. Yeah. How so,
0: fast were they dividing?
1: I don't know. They <laughs> were just continuously dividing. And so it was a huge consternation to Hayflick because he found that he couldn't get any cells to replicate more than 50 or 60 divisions Mm. and then they stopped and lots of people had found that but people had not found what Carol had found this perpetual line Mm. of cells Um, and so people started to try and replicate the work and they couldn't but Carol had this well-published, well-documented lineage of cells that just kept on replicating. So
0: the question there is, is it something about his experiment that is causing them to do that, or is that the intrinsic nature of those cells?
1: So he kept on going for a while, and then, interestingly this this comes from a book called A Means to an End, which is a brilliant book for anyone that's preparing for the
0: SCE SCE, for trajectory medicine. Medicine. It's
1: brilliant, it's written by William R. Clark, I'll put the link in the show notes, but Mm. it's brilliant uh, for reviewing theories of ageing. But anyway, it turned out that some of the materials used by Carroll to feed his chicken fibroblast cultures were themselves probably contaminated with fresh chicken embryo cells. <laughs> so rather than simply feeding his cultures once a week, he was actually just putting new vigorous them. cells in every time. Oh. So it was a real shame. But How
0: disappointed would you be when you I found know, that you out? Would. You'd be like... Oh, um, I'm but but Alexis Carroll did through.
1: lots of very interesting and really <laughs> important work that that wasn't indefinitely replicating cells have a look at him on wikipedia he he, he was a good chap
0: so next we're going to look at some of the specific theories that have been raised over the last few years about why or how specifically um, we age there are two main types those that are about the limitation of the replication of cells so the kind of hayflick limit that kind of thing
1: and then those theories that look at all of this from an evolutional point of view. Yeah. We're going to rattle through them fairly swiftly yeah. and not go into huge amounts of detail because, you know, that...
0: You could read for hours you could read about for hours, each of them. Yes. And um, I, I
1: just reference you to that book that I just mentioned, <laughs> yes. if you want to do that.
0: And in the show notes, there are how the articles that we use to put this together and there's some really nice review articles there. So um, this is a, is a nice intro. Um, so the first, which some of you may have heard of is something called telomere shortening for those of you who haven't heard of telomeres before they are the bits at the end of your dna so if you imagine when the news is on and they're talking about dna things you see this kind of x shape with two long legs and telomeres sit at the end of those yeah
1: it's like the um so it's at the end of a chromosome yeah so it's like the plastic bits on the end of your shoelace yeah yeah. So the they kind protect of, protective the of the end
0: yeah. And each time the cell divides, um, a little bit of the telomere is used up. So the more and more the cell divides, the less buffering it has at the end and the more likely things are to go wrong. Yeah.
1: And then with each round of cell division, eventually more and more of this protective cap comes off. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, the two ends of the chromosome may actually stick together. And then it makes it really difficult for the body to sort of Read it if you like, and unzip it, and replicate mm. it, and copy it, and that means that you then start getting abnormalities within chromosomes, and that can activate some of the um, internal mechanisms within the cells
0: they are kind of surveilling and saying this one. Yeah, and is the whole no control mechanisms well. yeah. start
1: to go up the swanny.
0: Yeah, and so. What we're saying there is eventually they become too short to divide safely so it stops to prevent errors that may lead to things like cancers or other mutations.
1: Second idea is something called the damage accumulation theory. Mm -hmm. And this is um, Tom Kirkwood has written a bit about this, um, saying that ageing is a result of the accumulation of faults at a cellular and a molecular level due to a limitation of maintenance and repair mechanisms.
0: Yeah, for whatever reason that is.
1: Yeah, so it's not the cells themselves, yep. but it's the maintenance and repair yep. side of things that, that stops working so well, and therefore errors are allowed to propagate and permutate, and yeah. um, they continue.
0: Yeah. Um, the next is around uh, the free radical theory of ageing, or sometimes it's uh, mitochondrial theory of free radicals. is very similar. The mitochondrial theory of free radicals uh, runs along the same lines. So free radicals are... Um, made from a chemical reaction that involves oxygen molecules. So when oxidation happens you're adding oxygen to something, you can sometimes get these little oxygen molecules coming off that are kind of like renegade O2 they're not stable oxygen
1: Renegade O2? Yeah O2 being oxygen,
0: yes, and so they you kind of these renegade oxygens <laughs> yeah, floating and around, and they yeah. kind of cause loads of damage to everything nearby because they just desperately need to bind to something, and in the process, they just cause loads of damage um, and lots of other chemical processes in trying to stabilise themselves. And what studies have shown is that this happens a lot more in older cells than it does in younger ones, and also species that have got high levels of free radicals tend to have really short life expectancies. Yeah.
1: And that's balanced by antioxidants, which mop up the free radicals. Yes. And help protect some of the cells, which is why you'll you'll hear of the, you know, lots of adverts for things like face creams and stuff that they say they're full of antioxidants Mm. and food is full of antioxidants. And the idea is that it may mop up some of these free radicals, these renegade oxygen molecules that are bouncing around the and place.
0: vitamin e that's a big thing you see seen lots of um, face creams and hand creams and things mm. um, and again that's because some um, biological evidence has shown that that's good in in helping with the oxidation yeah and that's supported by evidence that shows that chronic oxidative stress throughout the lifespan does play a critical role in aging overall so that kind of all fits in together and the mitochondria are the kind of powerhouses of the cells and they're the bits that are doing all of the using oxygen and turning it into energy.
1: Yeah. So they're some of the main sort of ideas about replication of cells mm-hmm. and damage to cells. And then you can kind of think about ageing on a, a more almost philosophical level. You can kind of pan mm-hmm. back out with the camera a little bit and rather than thinking of the individual cell, you can go a bit further out. Look and at the kind m-
0: of generations and... Yeah evolution and what
1: we'll call these the evolutional theories
0: yeah and they're based on the idea that the biological processes associated with aging have an advantage to the group over the individual but what we know is that humans regularly live beyond reproductive age so they have to be a little bit more nuanced than okay you're not reproducing anymore therefore you're of no use
1: yeah so i think the the classic example of that is something called the disposable soma theory, mm. which was Tom Kirkwood's again. And that's, it's sort of a typical example of one of these evolutional theories. And what they say, or what he says, is that kind of approach the, the problem of ageing from the point of view that there is an allocation of environmental resources. Mm. We need to allocate that between reproduction and maintenance of the soma. So the soma is the rest of the body that's not the germ cells. Um, so not the reproductive cells so particularly where resources are scarce investment of these resources in one activity is done at the expense of another so for example with the disposable soma theory the maintaining reproduction is more important than uh, looking after the mature body so after reproductive age then the rest of the body is sort of free to decay a little bit
0: Mm. so there's no investment in maintaining those processes and keeping it pristine yeah
1: So the cell replication starts to fall apart after Yes, yeah, so
0: it becomes a bit inefficient. Um, another is mutation accumulation theory, uh, which supports the idea that DNA mutations take place after reproductive age can't affect future generations because you've already done your reproducing at that point. So anything that happens after that doesn't affect your ability to reproduce and it doesn't affect future generations so it's saying that there's no evolutionary pressure to correct those problems that develop Mm -hmm. or protect you against developing that defect because you've already done what you set out to do An example there would
1: be Huntington's disease or some of the dementias most of the (laughs) dementias, all of the dementias that present in later life after someone has already reproduced
0: Particularly Huntington's which is very genetic
1: And then that means the next one is me so I have to say that the next theory is antagonistic pleiotropy.
0: Yeah. And this just takes that one step further. So it's saying that genes, specifically genes that are protective or beneficial in early life then become detrimental in later life. So it's saying that this one thing has two functions. The one function is focused early in life and then it has a completely different action which is negative later on in life.
1: So an example might be something like sickle cell disease. So the shape of the red blood cells and sickle uh, disease is different, which protects from malaria parasites getting into the cell, but causes problems as you get older because mm-hmm. of the cells sickle, they get stuck.
0: The blood vessels get blocked. And then the final thing that we're going to talk about, I'm going to put in another category, because it kind of sits across lots of others, um, and doesn't quite fit into either of those, and that's calorie restriction, which again, some of you may have heard a bit about. And I really like this because there's this Japanese island called Okinawa that has the highest prevalence of centenarians in the world. So people went to study them and kind of find out why and what they do, what's different, and what they showed is that as a population, the whole island calorie restricts their whole life, and so they think that this has contributed, and that's supported by quite a few um, studies as well. So some people have done studies in mice that show that dietary restriction in mice um, increased the longevity so the uh, age that they are able to maximally reach hmm. in rodents
1: by about 50 to
0: 80% which is incredible isn't it Yeah, and that was both on average so all of them and the absolute maximum they could reach as yeah. well. And there have been a few other studies, um, which again are all in the show notes, um, showing that this is likely to be mediated through a few different effects in the body, um, some of which we have talked about. So reducing the oxidative damage um, through anti-inflammatory effects and by delaying the onset of age-related diseases in animal models as well, hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah, and
1: there's a whole chapter on it in the book I was talking about. And I was just going to read one bit. I'm just just trying to find that little section... So there was an experimental analysis of the effects of caloristic restriction on maximum lifespan in humans. It's not really practical. Maintaining large numbers of people under the rigidly controlled conditions of calorie intake restriction throughout their whole lives, no matter really how committed and enthusiastic they are, um, simply cannot be done. So, but there have been some shorter trials. In September 1991, four men and four women of excellent initial health volunteered into the biosphere 2, where they remained for a period of two years. Biosphere 2 was a three-acre compound near Tuscan in Arizona, um, built originally to test the feasibility of a biological self-sufficient human living unit that might be involved in extraterrestrial exploration. Ooh, Mm. exciting. It was called Biosphere 2 in recognition that the Earth is Biosphere 1. (laughs) Um, One of the objectives was to raise all of the required food internally to recycle solid, liquid and gaseous waste products and generally to remain independent of outside influence for as long as possible, other than energy from the sun. Although not part of the original plan <laughs> the biospherians adapted to what was in infect uh, a calorific controlled diet, which was largely vegetarian, supplemented by small amounts of fish and animal meat They had three meals a day and all the food was consumed. The average total calories was 1,800 and fat was kept to a maximum of 30% of the total calories consumed and care was to taken to ensure a proper balance of all the major food groups. Mm -hmm. One of the members of the group was Dr. Roy Walford, who was a physician who'd been a pioneer in some of the animal studies on the effects of calorific um, restriction on longevity and immune function. That's
0: bias right there.
1: Uh, Well, possibly. He'd been looking at calorie restriction himself for a few years before Biosphere 2. Anyway, so given that bias, after six months on the Biosphere uh, diet, weight loss ranged from about 10 to 15% for people that were already pretty well beforehand. Average blood pressure dropped by 20%. Cholesterol levels dropped by about 35%. And serum lipids by 30% as well. Now, it's risky to attribute those changes entirely to the diet. Mm. um, But you've got to admit that, well, the chapter in the book that I'm reading says (laughs) it must be admitted that these changes parallel closely with those seen in previous studies of animals, particularly some of the higher primates um, who were maintained on calorie-restricted diets. So it's interesting.
0: Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Which kind of brings us back to how is this going to affect us all Mm. in the kind of bringing us kind of out from that small lens out into the kind of bigger picture again. And because clearly the extent to which those processes affect the individual will determine their life expectancy... Um, improve public health and better earlier preventative health measures, including advances like PCI that we have, uh, maintaining to people um, to live longer, so those kind of external elements that we're kind of bringing into people's life expectancy as well, um, mean that people are more likely to experience the consequences of these biological processes. I want to link us back then to the population ageing that we were talking about at the beginning and talk about a couple of theories of population ageing and how... Living longer might influence actually the population structure and there are three main schools of thought and each of them have studies supporting them and against them and they're all incredibly difficult to study so I I think it's very difficult for us to know which they are but I think it's a nice way to frame Mm -hmm. this discussion which is one is the compression of morbidity One's the expansion of morbidity and the other is dynamic equilibrium. Um, and they're pretty much what they say on the tin. So Freese says that there's a compression of morbidity, that actually you will live healthier longer yep. and then uh, you will...
1: Morbidity will be squashed up at the end. Yes, you'll yep.
0: suffer all of those years of ill health in a relatively short period before the end of your life. Yep. Sounds like a very depressing sentence. Yeah, instead. but there is evidence but for that. I've seen that. There is. The next is expansion of morbidity, um, which says that we will... May get an onset of disability later or illness later, but because we're living longer, we'll spend a higher proportion of our lives with greater morbidity. And then the middle ground is from a guy called Manton who says there's dynamic equilibrium, saying there's probably somewhere in the middle. There's probably a bit of both of those things happening, so it's not necessarily one or the other.
1: Yeah. So I think that wraps everything up. Yeah. That's what we want to say about theories of aging. It's kind of a rattle through, but hopefully we've just sketched mm. a few bits out and maybe whetted yeah. your appetite to go and read a bit more about some of that. Yes. There's actually some really, really good uh, Wikipedia pages on a lot of this. People (laughs) have spent a lot of time making really quite good entries on Wikipedia for this.
0: But we'll put all of this in the show notes, which are available on our website, which is www.thehearingaidpodcast.org.uk. And these theories are kind of important to think about because I think they dictate about what this means for us in society as we move forward. The MDT
1: Podcast. And now it's time for our MD teaser. This mm-hmm. is our MDT item guessing game.
0: Back again. Back
1: again, yeah. So we've got a different clue writer for this episode. We do. Yes, so these clues were written by Pam Trangmar, who's a physician associate that I work with.
0: Yeah, she's so. one of our core faculty.
1: She is. So thank you for these, Pam. So Jo, do you want to open up your, your clue there? open up mine. So Why Joe opens that up, so this is going to be, she's going to get a... Um, it's a bit like that game, Articulate. So she's going to have a word that she has to get me to guess and uh, a series of words that she's not allowed to use whilst doing that. Okay. I'm just going to open up a stopwatch. Okay. Are you ready, Jo?
0: Yes. I don't like There's... Pam at this point. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> go. Okay. This is a long item that you could put on a uh, limb. A jumper. No, just plaster a limb. Plaster cast. It is of the opposite density to a plaster cast.
1: There, really like. There
0: isn't really much evidence for them, but people really like wearing them. Um, oh, she's so restrictive with her clothes. Um Commonly, people might put one on their knee. Um,
1: is it some kind of bandage support? Yes. Yeah. Is it like a tube grip? It is, it's a tube grip. Aha, 45 seconds.
0: So I wasn't allowed to say elastic bandage, compression, variable length, variable width, cream, soft material, patient control, joints, swelling control, or support bandage.
1: All right, here we go. Open up my clues.
0: Let me get the timer. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Okay. Go. So this is something that is a method of delivering Injection. Yeah, delivering one of those.
0: A drip stand. Um a cannula. It provides a, a pump. <laughs> in
1: a well yes, it's kind of that. I'm not allowed to say that word, but um Syringe driver. Yes. Amazing. So that was twenty four seconds. Well done, you win? <laughs> or, yes, or I you win. Do. No, I win. I'm getting you to guess it. I win. (laughs) I still feel like we haven't worked out who's the the winner in this game. (laughs) The words I wasn't allowed to use were constant, uh, pump, injection, intravenous, bedside, pain control, palliative, medicine delivery device, liquid or measured dose or refillable. Quite a lot of words I wasn't allowed to use. Yeah. Lovely. So now we have one for you. This is a sound uh, that we have recorded from one of our MDTs. And this is what it is. And we'll play it once more. So if you think you know what that is, drop us a line. You can tweet us at MDT underscore podcast using the hashtag MD Teaser.
0: Or you can let us know on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash MDT podcast
1: or via the website, which is www.thehearingaidpodcast.org.uk and follow the links to contact us. Yes, We have a mug. We have an MDT mug for, oh, for grabs. the here. first person to get whatever this sound is. Come on, guys. And we'll give you Everyone the answer in a, in a couple of episodes' time. Yes.
0: So that's it for this episode. The MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. With an episode on Parkinson's disease. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin MacLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk.